0: Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Lennart. You're listening to Incredible Life Creator Podcast. My guest today is Marvin L. Storm. Marvin L. Storm has founded, acquired, and scaled businesses over the past four decades. He hosts the Business Exit Stories Podcast, where he interviews M&A advisors and other transaction professionals who share stories of their deals for those who are thinking about selling their businesses. He serves on numerous company boards of directors, consults on exit strategies, and is a frequent speaker, exit coach, author, and podcaster. Welcome to the podcast, Marvin.
1: Well, it's great to be here. I'm looking forward to our chat today.
0: I am too, and um, I was reading your story, and it's quite interesting, and I'd love for you to share it with everyone else. So how did you get to do what you're doing now?
1: Well, you know, I spent most of my career, I, I started out, uh, you know, in the accounting world. I got my degree in accounting and went to work for a large national firm, what would be called one of the big four today. And uh, I grew up in an entrepreneurial home. Uh, my father had his own business and, and my mom was a bookkeeper and uh, I watched the ups and downs of the entrepreneurial lifestyle. And uh, and my dad, uh, you know, not having a, a deep, education from a, a classroom perspective, but they grew up on a ranch and, uh, you know, learned, uh, you know, how to be independent and want to kind of sail his own ship. And so after that kind of entrepreneurial DNA imprinted, after spending some time in the accounting world, I got the, the itch and uh, I played pickup basketball with uh, a bunch of guys on every Tuesday night for several years. And and uh, one thing led to another, and a couple of us got the chatting, and eventually two of us uh, turned in our resignations and rented a small office and had two desks and a phone facing each other, and uh, we were in business, and so, uh, you know, we, we launched and grew a business from a couple of guys to, you know, a couple of floors in the downtown office space and 60, 70 people, and and had a good run and uh it was exciting uh i was young uh, had a at the time you know a couple of kids and uh you know just uh experience what most entrepreneurs experience out there you know scratching your head sometimes how you're going to meet payroll and and uh overcoming those obstacles and and uh, but the world changes and our my partner and my co-founder and myself you know objectives kind of changed and uh we came to a point where we decided we'd exit and step away from that business, and uh, I went right, he went left, and uh, and I got involved in another, uh, acquired another company, and uh, you know grew that company, and a few years ago stepped away, and you know after so many years being in the the fast lane, I thought it would be nice to be in the slow lane, and that's kind of what I thought I would do, but gee, after spending some time in that slow lane. Uh, it wasn't as exciting as I thought it was going to be. And I just got to thinking about, you know, all of the experiences I'd had in my career and uh, the couple of exits that I had. And, and I love podcasting. I uh, listen to uh, a lot of podcasts uh, every day, literally every day. And I got to thinking, you know, maybe I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there that have, you know, um, businesses and they're going to face the decision of how to you know kind of sell or exit their business and and the last exit that I had um, uh, you know was was different as I think anytime you walk away or step aside from a business that that transition tends to be different because entrepreneurs people that own and run businesses they become really good at what they do Uh, because they do it every day. And they continue to hone those skills and uh, refine them until they're, you know, at the top of their game. They're really good at what they do. But when it comes to selling and stepping away from a business, uh, you don't do that too many times in a career. And sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. And that was kind of the situation with me, as I think it is for a lot of folks. And I got to thinking about that and said, you know, since a lot of entrepreneurs out there you know hundreds of thousands several million actually uh, at some time are going to have to figure out what they're going to do with their business and that may be passing it on to someone in the family it may be a group of employees or a management team or selling it to a third party you know someone you don't know uh, whatever that decision is, they're going to have to cross that bridge at some point in time. And I thought, you know, if I had would have had a little bit more insight and knowledge into what the process was going to be like, especially on my last exit, where I had, I had outside investors, private equity involved. I had boards of directors, and that was kind of a different world for me. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, it worked out okay, but it could have, Been a lot better, I think, and I thought, well, I'm going to have a podcast that'll talk about making it a lot better, you know, and sharing ideas and tips. And so, what I did is I I decided that I would not really interview the entrepreneurs that sold their business, but the deal makers, the uh, investment bankers, the M and A specialists, the business brokers, CPAs, uh, the people that are involved in kind of that transaction flow of uh, helping entrepreneurs uh, monetize their business and sell them. And that's really turned out to be uh, something really interesting and intriguing because all these professionals, they bring their good, their bad, their ugly stories to the table of uh, how things either worked out or didn't work out for those people that were selling their business and exiting. And some of the takeaways of why it didn't go well and, and why it did and uh, what you know what people can learn from that process so that's what I'm doing today uh, it's kind of turned into uh, I, I just love uh, kind of giving back and uh, you know working with people that uh, have spent decades if not a lifetime building up a business and they look to step away and retire and and enjoy some of the fruits of their labors and you want to make sure that there's a lot of fruit to enjoy not, not an empty basket you know And uh, so it's been very enjoyable and uh, I get a chance to meet a lot of great people and do some coaching and some mentoring of uh, people, giving them some tips and insights on what they need to do to monetize all that hard work uh, over the period of time. So let's really enjoy this.
0: Yeah. And I remember when I was first starting a a business and I had young children, um, you know, 763 something like that. And um finding a way to um uh, balance my life and still feed that drive, you know, most entrepreneurs they have this drive to succeed. And sometimes you know the family gets put a little bit to the side and sometimes you know the business gets put a little side as you're going through those years of building your business initially how did you um, arrange your life so that you could spend time with your kids and build your business?
1: Well, there there's the the trick for entrepreneurs. Um, I've often looked at um, you know life as kind of like seasons of your life. You know, you have your formative years, which is kind of the springtime, and then you have know where you get your education you launch off into your career or in some cases starting a business and you know um that's kind of the summer you know and where you scale and grow professionally and personally and it's generally during that time uh, that you start a family and and have other responsibilities and uh the real trick is to, as you say, is to balance that. And there were times that I didn't do a great job at it because, you know, I, I was, uh, had a lot of other responsibilities outside of the business, not only my family, but I was involved in my, my church and in the community and, and, uh, you know, things were going well and, and I had five kids and, uh, I had a great wife who, uh you know, really helped through me through that process. Um, and uh, if I had to look back, um, I probably would have uh, changed the flow of my days, although I had a lot of, well, I thought I had a lot of control over my time, uh, but uh, with a lot of competing interests for that, and I did a lot of traveling. My business required me to do a lot of traveling, which uh, dramatically changes uh, the complexion when you spend weeks uh, away from a home and on the road and living out of a suitcase. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, it becomes really a challenge. And so, you know, for all of those out there that, uh, you know, are kind of in that summer of your life and you're, balancing all those different uh, priorities in your life uh, if I could do anything in my life over again I would have pro- I would probably uh, make sure that I blocked out a lot more time than I did uh, for for family activities um, if, if you were to talk to my children today um, I think they would say that uh the one thing that uh, was missing from their life was more time with dad. Although I was there some, for a lot of the time, um, you know, their perception was, is that, uh, uh there was a lot of other things going on and, uh, they sort of felt guilty for encroaching on, on that time because I was up early. I came home late a lot of times and, um, it is very. It is the biggest challenge for an entrepreneur and those that are building a career, not to shortchange that because it does go by in a flash. I mean, now I have, you know, five kids that are great kids. Uh, they have their own families. I have grandkids now, mm-hmm. and uh, I see the challenges that my kids are facing as they're now in the summer of their lives, and uh, and I uh, I you know, put in my two cents once in a while on, uh, you know, slow down sometimes, smell the roses, although they're much better at it than I was, because I think they, from their experiences, they made the commitment that, you know, they wouldn't make, they would make their family feel somewhat like they felt, and, um, but they turned out great, because they had a great mom.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, and then, you know, you mentioned one of your responsibilities was church, and how does faith play a, a part in your life as far as success in life, success in your personal life, success at business? What does faith have to do with it?
1: Well, for me, just speaking personally, it's, it, it was the foundational anchor because in careers or in uh, you know, being in business or an entrepreneur, uh, things don't always go to, as planned. And uh, I've had some actually spectacular over the fence home runs in business, you know, where I did exceptionally well. And sometimes I got to believing my own press clippings, you know, <laughs> that uh, I was the reason for all of my, you know, success, <laughs> which wasn't true, actually. Uh, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. I've often used the metaphor of, a, uh, you know, a surfer, you know, a surfer's out on the ocean and he has his surfboard and he's got his wetsuit on and and he's paddling on his board and he's waiting for the wave and uh, you know the experience of riding the wave is really determined not necessarily by what he does but by the size of the wave mm-hmm. and if he can ride that wave uh, he has a great time uh, but he isn't the reason that the the ride was all that great you know it's the size of the wave and so i happened to be uh, early in my career at the right place at the right time and the wave came along and i was smart enough to get up me and my partner were smart enough to get up on that surfboard and we rode that wave. and uh, it's exhilarating uh it's intoxicating because uh, you you seem to be doing all the right things And then when the wave goes away and the market changes, in my case, and, uh, uh, you know, competition comes in and uh, the world is a little bit different because of recessions and things like that that come galloping along that you don't really experience as a young person in business. You haven't gone through those life experiences yet. And, uh, And then all of a sudden the waves stop and uh, you can't quite figure out what you're doing wrong, you know, why is this so hard all of a sudden, and uh, it's then, I think, when you have a chance to be reflective, and if you don't have that anchor in your life of, uh, you know, your faith, and that there's something, uh, you know, a little bit more uh, bigger picture than what's happening to you at the time, Um, you know, I went from, you know, riding the wave into doing very well. And then, uh, you know, starting another business when my partner and I sort of went our different ways, I started another business. And that was a much harder slog. And it was during those times that uh, having this other dimension in my life, uh, served to level out, you know, my confidence in myself, and that uh, uh, it it wasn't all about how much money you made. It wasn't all about how big of a business you built. It was really more about what you were accomplishing with your family. And that's when, you know, that learning to serve others, learning to uh, work with those that actually have a whole lot less than you do. And I had those opportunities. I had opportunities not only to work with those that um you know were struggling in, in their own personal situations but with a lot of youth and um you know it was it was kind of in that period of time I was in my 30s you know mid mid to late 30s at that time I I'd had now some life experiences and um and, and it was the actual I, I've often one of one of the people that I I spent a lot of time with one of the young men that i worked with at the time just passed away a few weeks ago of uh, cancer and um, i got a chance to go up and spend uh, almost a full day with him and he only had a several months to live and um, uh, we spent a, we spent that time together and we reminisced on the type of things that we did together i, I was a scout master at the time and we did these 50 mile hikes and we did these other activities that, and I was sort of uh, a pivotal, you know, person in his life as he was growing up. And, uh, you know, we had that, that time to share. And it's those type of uh, experiences in my life that have brought texture to my life that have brought meaning of, uh, you know, having been able to uh, actually help somebody else along their life's journey. And uh, and then to have that come back around several decades later, where that relationship that you established uh, was very meaningful to them. And uh, you know, when we went through the, the memorial service the funeral, uh, and all the people that we had known from decades ago, a lot of them were there. And uh, it, it was very uh, reflective to me that, you know, at this point in my life, which I'm kind of now in the fall and the winter of my life, you know, you can tell by the gray hair here, uh, that I look back on what things that I've accomplished in my life that had any real meaning. And, you know, being reflective those things that did have real meaning, it wasn't the company that I sold, you know, the, the amount of money that I made. Uh, it was really the... Uh, through the vehicle of uh, community service and church, uh, where you were able to uh, give back or serve others to help others along the way. Uh, It's those things that are now that have created some real meaning and uh, the satisfaction in my life. When I look back now, if I were to get hit by a bus tomorrow uh, the things that uh, would be meaningful to me would be those type of experiences. And I, a lot of them are faith-based and a lot of them are centered around the whole concept of what uh, uh, a Christ-like life is, and that is to serve others and uh, help others along the way. So that, that, that's kind of what I've kind of taken away from, you know, the, the winding path of my life uh, through business and growing and, selling businesses and raising a family and working with others. The things that kind of rise to the top uh, of my life experiences are, are those that, that tend to be more focused on faith and, and the service of others.
0: That is so beautiful. And thank you for sharing that. Um, I was thinking when you were talking about your long days, getting up early, being out late, sometimes long weeks, I'm sure, did you have any morning practices or things that you did that kept you centered, on point, moving forward in a positive direction?
1: Well, I'm an early person. I uh, I get up early uh, generally, and um, uh, I uh, I generally take long walks, uh, and that's when I listen to my podcasts. Um, you know, I've always done that. I've always uh, been relatively active. I mentioned that I played basketball, and so I, I've always been, you know, physically active at some at some level. And uh, what I found that has kind of centered and, and grounded me uh, is just was to start the day uh, with some sort of activity. And and what I found is that I lived in a, an area where. It was relatively rural. Uh, I lived in the San Francisco Bay area and we lived out in a community that I was literally uh, a three minute walk into being on a trail into the East Bay regional park system uh, where you could walk for two days and not see anybody. Uh, and a large lake reservoir there. And so I had it, I had the opportunity to go out and walk and I'd take the dog and we'd go out and walk and. And uh, for an hour or so, and, um, and uh, now that I've moved up away from the Bay area, I live in an area that's a, a lot more hilly and, and uh, rural, it's called the gold country. If you're familiar with Northern California, it's on the way up to Lake Tahoe, uh, a lot of oak trees and rolling, rolling hills. Uh, and uh, so I do, I carry on the same practice today, um, you know, every morning or sometimes uh i have early activities i do it in in the late afternoon but uh, it's always that time where i can spend some quiet time either reflecting uh, or or learning you know and listening to uh, high quality content uh, of others on various topics from you know more spiritually based to personal improvement to you know business related topics that are of interest to me so it's caused me to that 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 practice has lasted decades Mm -hmm. you know and uh it's it's uh kept my blood pressure a lot lower to to have those those uh non-stressful times to just uh, be with yourself
0: Wonderful. Thank you. So, you know, they say that you should plan with the end in mind, you know, (laughs) like, so when, let's say you, there's some young people, they want to start a business and you know how, when you're starting a business, you're all excited and you're not really thinking about 10 years down the road, Uh, especially as a young person, you're just thinking how exciting it's going to be to go live and start doing business. So what would, what would be your best advice for people who are just starting out? How to start with the end in mind?
1: Well, that's a, that, that's actually a, a, a great uh, question to ask, because I often get the question. Um, I'm so busy building my business, I don't have time to think about what I'm going to do 10, 15 years down the road when I decide to sell it. Uh, that's generally the sentiment and uh, the thought process. And I get it. I went down that path. And if there's anything that I would do differently from a business perspective, is that I would be a little bit more strategic in the whole process. Because most entrepreneurs that get started in business, uh, you know, They either bootstrap it or they have an idea or they fall into it or somehow. And there's not a lot of strategic thought uh, into launching a business and how it's all going to end up. But I can tell you from experience and especially as I'm talking and interviewing these deal makers, you know, the people that are going to eventually help those type of people at one point in time transition out of their business that those that do start thinking early, generally it's not a lot of people actually start a business with the end in mind. There are some uh, that may be real exceptions to the rule and real strategic thinkers. uh, And it's generally the people that have been through one or two business iterations before, have had an exit before, when they start their next venture They've had experience, and so they're much more thoughtful on their exit strategy than first-timers, you know, people that are just launching a business or first or second business. Uh, and so you have these categories of people. But I can tell you, regardless of what category you are in, that the earlier you start to be reflective on how you're going to monetize all that hard work, uh the better you're going to be, the more uh, you're going to walk away that actually goes into your pocket uh, when you step away from your business. I can say that for an absolute certainty. Now you may be lucky that you're again in the right place at the right time when you decide to sell your business and you may just time it right and you have a home run when you sell your business, but the statistics and data do not support that as a great strategy. Luck is not a great strategy. And uh, so what I would say uh, for those that are listening in here today is that the sooner, if you have a business, the sooner you start thinking about how am I going to get out of this business? Because I found time and time again, that uh, people will spend a lot of time thinking about how to get into a business or a new product or service they're going to launch. They'll do a lot of market research. They'll spend time with consultants and whatever have you to figure out what they're going to do. But they spend virtually no time in thinking about how they're gonna monetize all that hard work and how they're going to exit the business. That's just an anomaly in you know, entrepreneurial you know, thought process. Uh, entrepreneurs become really good at what they do as I've mentioned, but they—you only go through a business exit once or twice, so you really don't know what you don't know. So, uh, you you think you're just going to figure it out on the fly, and uh, sometimes that doesn't work very well. In fact, most of the times it doesn't work very well because you don't optimize that exit value. So, what I would would say is that starting with the end in mind, the sooner you get to the point where you actually start thinking about some general parameters around how that is going to happen in the future. Now, I can tell you that it will probably never work out the way that you originally envisioned it. Too many things happen. Uh, things change. Economies go up and down. Uh, you know, Things happen in life. It just happens. And uh, you'll have to change it. But if you've put the ball in motion and you're moving toward that goal, you're uh, much further ahead than waiting until the last minute. I'm actually writing a book uh, you know, kind of based on this concept is that and it's, I'm using the metaphor of a parachute. Pilots do not pack a parachute when the engines are on fire. You know, They have that parachute packed in advance. And so, if and when they need that parachute, it's ready to go. And so if you kind of think of that in business terms, uh, you know, starting that thought process of how you're going to step away from your business and exit at some point in time, if you get that, start packing that parachute and have it ready at some point in time, if the unexpected were to happen, that means you go to the doctor and you get a bad diagnosis. Uh, you have a problem with a partner, uh, the economy, has uh, a downturn. Um, competitors come into the marketplace or you just simply get burned out. If you have that parachute ready to go and packed, you're in a much better and stronger position to get to where you need to be because a lot of things have already been done. And you know, packing your parachute or getting your business ready for an exit isn't rocket science necessarily. It's just that generally it's put off far too long. And so when you actually need to grab that parachute and, you know, head to the exit, uh, you're stuffing the parachute into the end the pack, you know, and those type of scenarios don't work out very well. Uh, when, when you make that exit, you know, you hope when you pull the rip cord, it opens, you know, uh, and so, You know, if you just thought that if you just start that process early, uh, you're going to be in a much stronger position to uh, translate the value you've created into dollars and cents when you exit.
0: Makes sense. As you're talking about, you know, entrepreneurs get really good at what they do, and I'm in the medical space, and I know um, passing uh, uh, medical practice from doctor to doctor you know, it's always, you know, they want the older doctor to stay until people get used to the new doctor, but you know, the, the doctor thinks he's the best doctor. And, you know, so when he goes to sell the business, there's no business once he's gone. So what's the best way for businesses to make sure that the business continues after it's sold or passed on?
1: Well, That's a great, uh, great point that you make. Uh, It depends on the type of business, naturally, but uh, the best way for a doc, even a doctor or a personal services professional, you know, accountants, attorneys, and people like that, if they can make their business or their practice more than just about them, so it doesn't necessarily all depend on themselves, then they've really created something beyond uh, the value of what they bring to the business. And so one of the kind of the key concepts is kind of creating a hierarchy of management, you know, where, uh, and the, really the way to test us out is to, if you're the, you know, the, the entrepreneur that makes things happen, you need to kind of look for that operations person or that person that's a general manager or someone that allows you to actually go on a vacation And the business can continue without you for a week or two or a month or whatever. And once you've kind of reached that first stepping stone of you being able to be away from the business and the business continuing, regardless of the type of business that you have, if the business can continue to generate revenue while you're not there, you've you've made that first step on creating real intrinsic value in your business. And then the next step and the next step And then you keep adding people that allow you to become less relevant to the success of the business. And so when you can accomplish that, then you really have created enterprise value in your business. Uh, Now that can be at different levels. Uh, It really depends on how committed you are to it and uh, on how much enterprise value you really wanna create. It's not going to happen overnight. Uh, the most difficult thing an entrepreneur ever does in his career in running and scaling a business is finding good people that they can mentor, they can train and that they can you know, pass the baton to certain parts of their business on. And what they will find eventually is that those people they've recruited, it's been thoughtful recruiting and thoughtful training and mentoring, that those folks will actually do a better job than the entrepreneur will do in most aspects of the business. Now the entrepreneur obviously uh, brings certain talents to the table that are very difficult to replace. And he may always be involved in the business, whether it's in the sales and marketing or client relationships or on the research and development side or whatever, um he will always be a valuable contributor but the ability to create the the management hierarchy uh, is where enterprise value is created and so when it comes time to exit then you have a whole different classification of buyers if you're the uh, owner operator that uh, is the focal point of the business nothing really happens if you, if you go on vacation, everything kind of goes into slow motion. Uh, if that's kind of the business that you've built, then the type of buyers that you're going to look for your business uh, is a relatively small pool because you're looking to replace yourself mm-hmm. in that role. And quite frankly, that's a very small universe of buyers. Mm-hmm. And it's sometimes very difficult and challenging to find those type of buyers. If you've made that first step up, where you aren't, you're important to the business, but you aren't essential to be there every day, then you increase that universe of buyers quite a bit. So you have kind of, it's kind of four buckets of buyers that you have. You have the owner operator role, which is a smaller bucket. Then you have kind of the management role where you have a general manager or someone involved and that person would stay with the business. And then you really have kind of a hierarchy Uh, of management and each of these buckets that there are more and more buyers for businesses that fill those buckets and so if you have a management kind of that second tier bucket uh, you have uh, people that uh, a lot more people that are interested in buying a business that is operational that they can focus on scaling and growing the business and these are maybe executives coming out of corporate America or people like that, or family offices that buy businesses. Mm-hmm. Then you get to that third lever where you actually have a management team in place and have created a lot more value. Then you have this whole another universe of financial buyers. They're the people that do this for a living. They, buy, they raise money in funds called private equity And then they go out and look for businesses they can buy to get a good return on their invested money. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole nother world out there. And then you really have the last bucket, which is a a big bucket. And those are buyers that look for companies that have strategic value to them. They may manufacture a widget and they may have uh, 10,000 customers that buy their widget. But you happen to have developed a kind of widget with a twist. And it's different than their widget, but complementary to their widget. And they could see if they buy your company that they can offer your widget to their 10,000 customers. And that adds value to what they're doing. And so it's not about necessarily the financial metrics that they're buying, they're buying, your company because of the strategic fit. And that's called a strategic buyer. And I can tell you that a lot of times, not too long ago, I interviewed an M&A advisor on my podcast, where he shared a story about one of his clients that had this widget. uh, And the buyer of his company uh, paid 10 times what he thought he was going to get for that company he actually had buyers at the table that were this financial bucket buyer and they were offering simply uh an amount based on earnings of the company we'll say it was 3x of the earnings of the company and that's what they were offering because they were a financial buyer they were looking for the return on the investment they were looking at the metrics well lo and behold, there's this other classification of uh, strategic buyers out there that saw what they were doing and that really fit nicely into what they would be able to offer their existing customer base. And two buyers came to the table that were strategic buyers. And one of those buyers didn't want the other company who they were competitors to, to have that widget, they didn't want they they wanted to have the widget and so they in order to make sure that they got that widget they paid literally 10 times the amount of what the uh, original financial buyer was paying and double what the the competitor was going to pay because it was really strategically important for them to have that widget and so not that that's going to happen to everyone but the point of even raising or discussing this issue is really because none of that happens if you don't give some thought, because that was able to happen because the entrepreneur had built this management hierarchy that they weren't essential to the business and that they could acquire that business and that business could continue without the entrepreneur being there. And so they moved up this hierarchy of management to where they positioned themselves to be of interest to a strategic buyer out there, and they happen to be in the right place at the right time too, and that just enhanced the return. But the thing that I think your audience should take away here is that none of this happens if you don't at some point in time start thinking about how you're going to get out of the business and what some of the things you need to do to position yourselves to optimize uh your your exit so you can convert some of all that hard work and sweat equity and all the time that you've put in you can translate that into dollars when you actually sell the business
0: okay so let's say we've gotten to the point it's time to exit it's time to sell or pass it on who are the players and if you could kind of define them too because m&a I know what M&A is, but some of the listeners might not know what that is. Mm-hmm. So who are the players and what part do they play?
1: Well, <clears throat> I, I love sports. Uh, you know, I'm a big sports guy and I love football. Football is one of my more favorite sports. So we're in football season right now. We're talking here, recording this here. Uh, and so we're uh, in game eight of the NFL season going into game nine. And so every football team has a whole bunch of coaches. It isn't just the head coach that is important to that team. They have an offensive line coach. They have defensive coaches. They have wide receiver coaches. They have quarterback coaches. They have special team coaches. They have all of these different coaches that work with, you know, different parts of the team to optimize their uh, effectiveness and their play. Well, a business is nothing more. Than a group of people that are on a team. And when it gets to the point where you want to, you know, if you've done the right things, you're going to, you as the head coach are going to exit and they're going to hire another head coach. You want to make sure that you have the team that's going to help you through that transition. You put, that you have the right players. Now, a lot of entrepreneurs fortunately or unfortunately, have this can-do, do-it-yourself mentality. They've always been able to figure them, figure out things on their own. You know, that's just their personality. They're problem solvers. You know, they enjoy the challenge of solving problems. And a lot of people I've talked to, entrepreneurs, think that when it comes time to exit, they'll just figure it out. You know, because that's how they've done everything else in their career. But I can tell you the complexity of exiting a business is far greater than they than they imagine or think. So the right approach is really to uh, assemble your team, kind of your team of advisors that are going to help you through that process. And so one of those people that should be on your team is someone, and it may be an outside accountant or someone like that. You need someone that can advise you on the financial side of your business. Because I can tell you that at some point in time, especially if you sell to people you don't know, if you're selling to a family member or an employee or a management team or someone like that, they already understand the business. They may not be so concerned about the financials, but if you go to an outside third party, that becomes very important. And so you need someone there that is minding the store on the financial side of your business and can create the reports and the financial reporting that is reliable and that is trustworthy. And there aren't a lot of questions around that. And entrepreneurs, a lot of times are very, they use their business kind of as a, their own personal bank account and they run a lot of expenses through their business and things of that nature. And that's okay, that's part of, being a business owner, but there's gonna come a time when those type of, you know, taking advantage of those type of benefits from a business will work against you when it comes to creating the financial reporting that isolates those type of things and that aren't necessarily contributing to the growth of the business. And so you need to have someone on your team that is a financial person, you know. And, and I don't recommend really that you try to sell your business on your own. Again, I'll go back to a story uh, on, uh, you know, a transaction that an advisor on my podcast brought forward. And this is relatively recent within the last year and a half or so. They had their business all teed up. And so if you've owned a business and you've got a good business, you'll get inbound calls of uh, people looking to buy your business, or they say they're interested in buying your business. And when I ran my business, I had those people call me all the time. And uh, so this happened to this guy. And uh, so he entertained it. He invited these people in and they made him an offer. And it was a good offer. And so he was doing it on his own without a lot of outside advice and counsel. And he had basically decided to accept this offer as is, and he had an attorney that was working on it, and then COVID hit. And uh, within a matter of a couple of months, the offer went away, because everyone was standing back and saying, well, we got to figure out what's happening here with COVID. And uh, they just kind of stepped back at that point in time. Well, he'd gotten all geared up and in the frame of mind that he was going to be selling his business, and so he wanted to continue. But now there were no buyer, and so he went actually networked around and found uh, uh, an advisor, a business broker slash M&A advisor to help him. Well, that M&A advisor came in and after they had gone through the six, nine months and things had started to stabilize after COVID, that M&A advisor, and I'm just going to use an example, the person that showed up and wanted to buy his business offered X for the business. Well, nine months later, the eminent advisor was able to go in and make changes and reposition the story and bring other buyers to the table that would be interested in the business because that's what he does for a profession. And uh, when they went back on the market, uh, he reached out to the buyer that had offered X and let them know there were three other buyers offering a lot more than X. And that same buyer came back and offered three X for the business. Yeah. Uh, Cause he was gonna get a real deal at X. But <laughs> now that he knew he had competition and he really wanted the business, the M&A advisor was able to position, uh, you know and get other people to the table, bidding on the business that it drove the price up. So here's a situation that if COVID hadn't happened he'd have got X and he'd have been happy with X. But now he has 3X and he's a lot happier with 3X than he was with X. And even though he paid that eminent advisor a lot of money in the fees, uh, that was a great return on his money. So getting back to your question, you need some a professional advisor, uh, whether it's a business broker or an m and advisor. If you've got a larger business, you know, an investment banker type of uh, firm that can advise you because they just know some know the, the process and they know people, they know who the buyers are out there. And then you really need uh, to have someone that uh, can help you when it comes to tax situation of how you're gonna treat the taxes. And uh, if you do a little bit of fore planning and, and preparatory work on the taxes, you can greatly minimize the, the impact that a capital gains tax will have on your business if you do it right. Wonderful.
0: So yeah, don't go it alone is what you're saying.
1: <laughs> well, you may, you may get lucky to go it alone, but the, the, the chances are, the probabilities is, is that uh, you, 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 this is probably one of the largest financial transactions of your career and your business life. Uh, you shouldn't go into it with some, without some real professional uh, input. And uh, uh, I would say 9.9 9 times out of 10, uh, the money or the fees that you pay to your professional advisors will more than pay for itself multiple times over.
0: Beautiful. So I'm sure there's people that would like to find the podcast and also find out about what you're doing. So at this point, why don't you tell us how do people find you the name of your podcast? Um, you know, if you have services you you have available for people.
1: Oh, sure. Um, I think a good place for any entrepreneur out there is just to go to wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Apple, Google, Stitcher, you know, uh, just type in business exit stories, Uh, you'll find the podcast there. just subscribe to it and just, uh, just listen to all the stories there's hundreds and hundreds of stories on the podcast of people just like you, that have had good experiences exiting a business and some not so good experiences exiting a business and some real belly flops. And uh, you certainly don't wanna be in that category. So learn from the experiences of others. Don't repeat, don't, do, don't make those mistakes yourself. I, I also have a, a kind of a, a report that I prepare. Um, it's uh, just uh, go to the, the podcast website, business exit stories forward slash report two. That's number two uh, and, uh, download this report and it'll give you kind of a big picture overview of this thought process of what you need to start thinking about when you, uh, start moving toward that eventual end of, um, stepping away and exiting your business. Uh, and then, um, you know, if, if you need additional, you know, just, uh, uh, reach out to me. I can reach me at, mstorm at com. I get a lot of people that are always asking me questions and wanting an advisor or wanting some tips on things. And I'm I'm glad to provide that type of insight. All
0: right, well, thank you. So now I have a personal question for you. At this point in your life, what gives you the most happiness and and, um, uh, makes your life the best?
1: Well, fortunately, um, I have good health. Uh, I've been blessed with that and I hope that continues but I think that the thing that gives me the most satisfaction are really two things uh, maybe three things in life Um, you know the older you get and the more uh, I think that uh, family becomes just more important we've talked about it a little bit earlier in the podcast here and in our discussions here but now at this point in my life, you know, kind of in the fall of my life and, you know, I have these these kids and I have uh, grandchildren and and they're, they're growing and to be a part of their lives and to, you know, actually offer something useful and benefit and that they actually do ask, you know, grandma and grandma, uh, you know, a little bit about what they think on certain things. And uh, it's, it's just very rewarding to see, you know, your, your kids and grandkids uh you know go through life and experience and grow and find happiness in their own way i have you know kids that have chosen different levels you know some got master's degrees some of them you know didn't graduate from college but are very successful in in building a business and and it's just satisfying to see you know how that has grown. What I'm doing right now actually has brought me a lot of satisfaction because I've been able to use my experiences and the mistakes and the belly flops that I've had in my life, in my career, uh, and help, uh, you know, preclude that from helping in other people's lives, especially because a business tends to be the uh, exiting a business tends to be one of the more significant financial events in your life. And you really don't want to drop the baton on the last lap. Mm-hmm. And just to be able to uh, help others avoid some of the mistakes, uh, some mistakes which I've made and, and others have made and just help them, that, that's been very gratifying to me. And then again, from a faith-based perspective, you know, just being uh, involved and in being able to help others uh, at different points in their lives as they go through the, the seasons of their lives and, uh, you know, to be in a position to offer support and guidance and, you know, sometimes financial assistance, you know, for people that uh, that, you know, are are struggling at that point in time and doing that through, you know, the the church or the community that I live in has just been very rewarding than having the opportunity to be in that position. So uh, for me, uh, you know, a lot of the mistakes I made earlier in my life make this point in my life just a lot more rewarding than I didn't really blow it and making bad decisions early on.
0: All right well thank you so much and thanks for being on the podcast today and for all your wisdom and we've gotten to some really different topics so it's been wonderful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well uh, I've enjoyed the discussion. Uh, you've asked some qu- questions that have caused me to reflect and that's 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 a good thing that, uh, I don't sometimes I don't even take that time you know to reflect and actually, audible eyes, you know, some of my internal thoughts. So thank you for allowing me to do that.
0: Yes. So I have one last question before we complete. What is your best advice on living an incredible, amazing life?
1: I think the best advice I could give to anyone out there, I think uh, you find happiness when you uh, help other people along their path. Uh, uh, that has been true in my life. Uh, the, the most rewarding relationships and experiences I've had have come as a result of being able to be in a position to have helped somebody else.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you again soon.